Hello everybody, it's uh, Tom Latcham here from Ross. Welcome to a new version. Today it's the first of the main podcast that I'm going to be presenting on my own because Paul and Chrissy have decided to take a step back due to other commitments. We thank them all for their work. I'm sure you'd like to join me in thanking them for all their hard work and getting this project off the ground and making it what it is and they're really going to be missed. But don't worry, there's plenty more to come and there's changes afoot as well. One of them is... This, we're going to be doing everything from now on on camera. But don't worry, if you're listening on audio, you're still going to be able to get those brilliant audio podcasts. They're going to be available on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you get uh, your your podcasts. But equally, if you do want to watch this go out, head over to YouTube because everything we do is going to be filmed and put out on video. And plus, as well, there's loads more extra content on YouTube. So do head over there. Uh, but this interview, our first filmed interview, I'm delighted to say, is a man who is a total legend in the jungle and drum and bass scene. He's a pioneer. He's the boss of Dread Recordings. He is, of course, Ray Keith. Hello, Ray. Hello, my friend. How are you doing? I'm good. How's tricks? <laughs> yeah, not bad. Rolling with the punches, as they say. Yeah, it's a strange time, right? It is very strange. Yeah. Very, very strange. How are you coping? Yeah, I mean, it's been tough on everyone. I think mentally and physically, I think, um, and being fed the wrong constant information and having no faith in anything. I think the first lockdown, everyone adhered to it because it was a lot of being scared and unsure and thinking in my lifetime, you would not see anybody or any cars on the street. I mean, what the fuck? Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Like, don't go outside of your house. Yeah. Um, very scary stuff. Stuff that you watch in movies and you're having a takeaway on a Friday night going, oh, fuck it, that's never going to happen. <laughs> and suddenly it, it happens. Is. So, yeah, I think um, I was, I'm a high-risk high uh, candidate. I was shielding. I'm diabetic. Um, and luckily for me, I've got strong will and a strong mind. I was training outdoors. You were allowed to go out for half an hour, an hour. So we adhered to all that. And I was training out at home. Luckily, I've got a garden. Um, and my children were around me as well. So, uh, and I had very good friends on the phone. You know, like I've, I've got a very, very good uh, team of people that I take counsel from. And, um, and they're not yes men. They're real talking brothers and sisters, yeah. do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. that, that have got a great heart. So that was, that was good. And also, I think what, what it taught us was we don't actually need as much as we thought we needed. We don't need as much money. We can make time. And it's the first time ever that I've had a rest. Like, I've had a break. Well, you look good on it. Thank you very much. <laughs> Although I did actually, I've got to say, I prefer the big beard. Yeah, the big beard is coming back. I mean, I go through phases. Sometimes like, it's, it's big. Made you look sort of, sort of like a, when you were stroking it, like a, like, like a Bond villain. Yeah, uh, or, or maybe... <laughs> An even, evil genius. A, or even maybe a Grandmaster Jedi. We like that one. We'll take that one. <laughs> um, well, look, we'll talk, I'm sure, more about COVID and what it's done for, you, you know, for, for, for the scene and for your career a, a little bit later on. But this is the 90s rave podcast. So cast your mind back to the 90s rave scene, a special magical time for so many people, you know, including yourself. Thank what you. do you think the key elements are of the 90s rave scene which made it so incredible and so loved to this very day? I think um, there, there were several factors. I think one of the things that was, for me, like, like driving forward was just tenacity and balls of steel. Like, you've got, you know, I was an outsider, I was coming into London um, from Essex. We were talking about this off camera a little while ago. Su such great talent from Essex. Dave Lee from Colchester, myself, there was Dave Malone, um, the Prodigy from Braintree, um, Blur. Are they? they were from Essex, yeah. Yeah. Um, Slipmat, of course. Yeah, Slipmat. Sons of Loop de Loop. Yeah. Night Force. Yep. Um, Styles. And, that, and that's just, just, just a name but a few. There's, mm. We've probably missed out another 10, 15, 20 artists. Sade. Essex. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, I mean, we all started with soul, rare, groove, jazz, uh, hip-hop, and then obviously Acid House, and it was a natural progression. I think as a, as a youngster, I was following that, that music. We were blessed with the 80s, electronic music, which had a big impact on us, and rock music, and punk music, and 
Teddy Boy music and, you know, Jackson's, like, it was an incredible melting pot at that time. And I think it just opened a lot of doors for a lot of people. And also, 88, 89, the summer of love, it didn't matter whether he was black or white, that was the time of integration. And that's when people really did come together. Um, and it was a wonderful time to be going out and be part of. And 88, 89, um, I mean, that's the thing. People don't realise that we were already established DJs playing soul, red groove, funk, jazz, hip-hop. I held a few residencies in Colchester, in Ipswich, Cinderella's, in Colchester, Larissa. I love the old school names of clubs, Cinderella's. Oh. I mean, you don't get those anymore, do you? <laughs> but that, that was a, 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 an amazing, mainly a black crowd, um, because in that urban city and society, there wasn't many places to go. And I would DJ from nine o'clock till 1.30 in the morning. I'd play the whole thing. Um, and God bless him, uh, rest in peace, Phil Hills. He gave me my first major gig and that was in Ipswich. But you know, I just met people along the way, networking, I played at Oscars um, for Buster Brooker. Uh, I met one of my good friends, Stephen Bain, who I'm still good friends with now, uh, he was, like a big influence on hip hop and soul. Clacton was massive, Colchester was massive, Ipswich was massive, Bedford was massive, even Kenny Khan was doing the early uh, uh, Acid House nights. And then I got my break in London and I never looked back, 88, 89, I was one of the residents for Crazy Club and Astoria. So there was a lot of very quick development happening, which is what made it such an exciting and, and interesting scene. Definitely. We've asked, though, our listeners for some questions for you. Uh, Darren Johnson has asked, if you could go back and do it all again, as we all wish we could, uh, what would you do differently and why? I wouldn't do anything different. Nothing? No. No. Oh, I've been in raves and man's been clapping from the back of the rave to the front of the rave. <laughs> I've met some amazing fucking people. Um... I've loved some amazing people. Um, I've lost a lot of friends. Um, if I could do one thing, then it would, anybody that was around me that passed away would still be living today because they were just characters. Do you know what I mean? And, and they just, for whatever reason, they left us. Um, they just left us too early. But on the whole, without losing them people, I wouldn't do anything different. Wow. Um... And you are, even to this day, known for trying to push boundaries in your music. How much do you try to retain the elements of what made your music and the 90s rave scene so special in your current music? What I've learned is, um, because a lot of people are ready to dismiss music, um, what they've done, and I, and I look at it and I go, someone had their first baby, someone popped their first D, Someone got twisted and busted and mashed up and was waiting at the bus stop. Someone bought the rave pack or the tape pack. Someone came to Black Market and bought a record. Those, those are all great memories, but we can't live in the past. And I think if you're a pioneer and an innovator, and I swim upstream, I don't copy what everybody else is doing. And I think if you want to be individual, then you make your own way and you make your own luck. I was speaking to Groove the other day, Ryder, we because we're all tight, you know, we all check up on each other. And he went, Ray, you make your own luck in this world. And it's true, that's what we did. You know, we like, you know, the harder it was, we used to just go in and do what we needed to do. So I, I think, um, I, I, I think that would be a broad answer to, to, to that question. And you have made your own luck and you continue to do so even at a tough time. Uh, but do you think we'll ever see a decade that matches the 90s in terms of its creativity and its change and its uniqueness ever again? Right now. Because the more you have oppression and the more you put people down and then the more you pe tell people you're not viable, yeah, then that gets everyone like, what the fuck? Like, I've spent 40 years doing what I'm doing whether you're an actor or an artist, a performer, and then you're gonna suddenly go, hang on a minute, no. These, th all of us, which I put as down as key workers, are what make the normal person in their yard happy. They're happy to hear that tune. They're, they're, they're great to watch that film, because it takes it away from their own worries and their woes. So, right now, 
There is a revolution going on. I can feel it. I'm in the studio. I'm what, shape, what shape is it taking? All shapes, all forms. I think when you suppress a culture like they, we did in the 80s and like we did in the 90s, we'll go, fuck you. We're going to do it our way, you know. And that's what keeps you hungry. You know, I'm, I'm in the studio and I'm, I've got, I can't even tell you what's going on right now, but you can see the smile on my face. I am like at this creative point in my life where I'm just like, wow, is that really happening? Well, I said some of your, um, I said to you when we first met, some of your little Facebook videos with yeah. you, when you're listening to a new or tune that you've either created yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, or, or someone yeah. else has created and you're like, yeah. listen to this. And the joy on your face is a joy to watch yeah, uh, other people. You. It's fun, it's really nice. It shows how much, you, how much you're, you're, you're into what's going on. The, the, is there not a danger though that because the jobs, uh, you know, they're suppressing the nightlife at the moment for reasons which we understand, but we may not agree with, that there won't be the wealth of talent and the pool of talent, or will people just continue, even though they're not getting paid? Or, you know, what do you think about it? Because it's, it's tough to live as, a, yeah, as, as, as yeah, an artist. That, that, I mean, you've got, to, you've got to be shrewd, you know? Like, and you've got to be able to change your business model. You've got to be able to apply yourself. It's no good going, I'm one trick pony and I'm a DJ and I'm fucked now. Like, get in the, get in the studio, go and learn something new. You know, this is a time for learning. This is a time to make sure that you spread your wings, you make alliances, you build bridges, you network yourself. Um, the good thing about it is all the corporate companies are fucked. So they are not controlling anything anymore. So. Any negative you look, there's always a positive that you can go, actually, I can go direct to that guy now because he wants to talk to me now. Because before, he didn't want to talk to me because he was, you know, you know, fucking... not even interested in taking the call, but now he has to because he's got no dough. Do you see what I'm saying? And it's not always going to be like, we want to monetize this, we want to monetize that. I think, the, I think the thing that we're learning right now in, in what's going on is your health is your wealth, family is important, your friends, um, you know, keep like the ones that are good, you keep them around you, get rid of all the fucking deadbeats and the rubbish, do you know what I mean? And focus on what you want to do because out of every depression and oppression, there's going to be a steep rising. And I feel like it's 92, 93, 94. Right, I was going to say, do you see a, you know, we're under a Tory rule. Uh, there is, admittedly, slightly, there are different circumstances, of course. But do you see that this is a sort of, what came out of that, the, the, the sort of Tory rule in the late 80s and into the 90s was this booming the creative industries. Is that, that's, that, there's a mirroring now, is there? Listen, they're all as bad as each other. It just turns out that they're in power at the moment. You know, well, they can't even sort out fucking school meals for our kids. Do you know what I mean? Um, like, what are you doing, bro? You know, stay at work, go at home, stay at work, but, but stay at home. I mean, I don't know what they're smoking over there, but, but it is a cloud of smoke. I don't know what strain that they've got going on, but can someone please tell me what the fuck is going on? And can someone be no, clear? I don't yeah. know is the answer. No, they can't. Right. So, you know, you're going to lock down this one, but keep this one open. You're going to lock this gym down, but you're going to lock this one open. And it's like, who is making these decisions? You know, like, if you gave the people the power, they would be running this shit better than what you're doing. I understand that 100% how serious the pandemic is, but let's sort of track and trace, mm. and let's let, let's get to the to, to the to the bare basics, and let's build on something because right now it's just chaos. Yeah, it's chaos. But it will, I feel, everything is like a phoenix rising, and and good will always rule evil 100%. Well, fingers crossed. Uh, you're listening to the 90s Raid podcast with Tom Latcham and Ray Keith. If you want to get in touch with us, you can email us, hello at the 90s Raid podcast.co.uk. Uh, we're also on all your social medias. We're also on YouTube. Got loads of stuff now going on YouTube, so uh, check it out. Now, every time we interview anybody, Ray, we do a little get to know you, quick fire round nice and snappy so I'm going to run through some questions just to get to know you a bit more because a lot you know people will know your music and they might know a bit about your studio but they won't necessarily know that much about you so let's uh, let's run with this right so Ray Keith full name 
Ray Cave. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no middle names? No middle names. No middle Just names. Just Ray Cave. Okay. Uh, what's your age? Oh, come on. I'm over half a century. Okay, you look good on it. Uh, where'd you grow up? Colchester. Colchester. When, where do you live now? I live in Essex in Harlow. Okay. What's your relationship status? I'm single. Single and not, and, and ready to mingle? <laughs> I'm working on myself right now. Good man. That's a, that's a good thing to do. And you've got time to do it as well. Yeah. Um, you've got any kids? And if so, how old? Yeah, I've got four children. Aaron is my oldest. Um, he's in his 30s. Jack is going to be 29 next week. Mia is my oldest daughter, she's 21, and Lola's my youngest, she's 19. And I've just met Lola and she's absolutely lovely. Um, what's your favourite non-rave tune? My favourite non-rave tune. Oh, I like, um, I like Shake Your Body by the Jacksons. I love that tune. Mm. Yeah, good tune. Uh, and uh, who's the most famous person you've ever met? The most famous? The most famous. And you can't say Groover either. That's, <laughs> that's not acceptable. Uh, I've met a couple. I've met, I've met um, Chuck Khan on a plane. Very that good. That was mad. Yeah. I was going to Miami and I met um, public enemy Hank Shockley. Oh, excellent. That's that, good. Was, that was up, up in... Was well, a hip-hop fan, you must have loved that. Yeah, but they came to see me play at a club in Brooklyn and then, he, and then I met him and he knew who I was and I'm like, wow. wow. <laughs> and he had some of my records and we've become good friends now. Have you? Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, no, that was super cool. That is a cool celebrity friend. Yeah. Well done. And maybe that's a question we should really ask in the future is not who's the most famous person you've met, who's your biggest celebrity friend? That's a good question yeah. we'll do in the future. Um, have you got a sporting hero? Uh, yeah, um, two. Um, when I was growing up, it was Bruce Lee. And when I was a young man, it was Muhammad Ali. For obvious reasons. I don't think you need to say any more than that. He's a legend. Uh, and what would you say is your best trait? Um, I'm giving. Okay. And what's your worst one? Uh, I'm giving. Uh, <laughs> no, my worst trait is sometimes I don't listen. Okay. Yeah. But I'm, I'm, I'm working on that. We're always working on ourselves at all times. Yeah. Right? yeah. Uh, and tell us one thing about you that will surprise people. Surprise people. Um, I don't like wet hair. <laughs> what? Yeah. What I can't stand wet hair. Like on who? On yourself on, or on, on other me people? or on anybody? I just don't fucking come near me with wet hair. <laughs> it's cold. It's horrible. Go dry your hair to us. That is a really weird thing. <laughs> yeah. Like, like you're asking me something completely out of the book, and I'm like, well, yeah. Well, fair enough. Yeah. Uh, it's not the answer I would have expected, yeah. but there you go. Yeah. And uh, if you had one wish, final question: If you had one wish for anything in the world, what would it be? Uh, I'd want us to all be equal and all of us to have a nice life. Because, you, because I'd like to just go out my door and not know about... Some twat in the car who's cutting you up. <laughs> no, not even that. Just, you know, you know, look what's going on. People are drowning in the channel. You know, yeah. they're fighting. There's guns, there's drugs, there's people importing people in the back of lorries. What the fuck's going on? Do you know what I mean? Like, it's a fucked up world. So I think if you've got peace and you've got unity and you eradicate world poverty, then we're all on a plain level field. All right, you're still going to have different differences in different countries, but no one's going to go hungry. Do you know what I mean? Peace, love, unity, respect. And what a, what a way to end that segment but uh, on a 1990s rave mantra. Inside the sounds of the original one of a kind, a Ray Keith original terrorist, touch it down. So now we know a little bit more about Ray Keith, uh, but now I want to dial it back to your early life and find out how that influenced your career and, 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 and your, your life path, really. Um, like many rave artists, as we've touched upon, you grew up in Essex in the, the 70s and the 80s. What was, what was that like? What was your upbringing like in Essex in the 70s and 80s? It was tough, it was racist. Um, we were 
obviously on the outskirts of, of London. Um, my family were, as of the Jamaican Windrush generation, they came over from Mauritius. They were recru recruited to work in the hospitals. Uh, my mum became a, a, a sister matron and my dad became uh, a, 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 the equivalent, which is a, a charge nurse slash nursing officer. They did very well. Um, but it was a tough time growing up. You know, we were, we were a minority. Um, what was that like, particularly in Essex? Because yeah, you would have stood, stood out quite know, a lot, I would have thought. Yeah, in that time. you know, packy, wog, fuck, fuck off home, nigger. You know, and, um, and that's why... What did, you, what did you do when people would say that to you? Would you well, you, 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 it's, you know, it's, it's not even a nice trait of, of, of someone to be even saying that to you. But at least in those days, they said it to you and you knew who the enemy was. Now they don't say it. So you don't know what they're quite thinking. But mm -hmm. you know that they've still got that look right. in their eye. So as you get older, you get wiser. And you just learn to be thick-skinned and you ignore it because you know that you've got to do 10 times better than what the next person's got to do. But that's where your discipline comes in. You've always got to have a receipt when you come out of the shop because someone thinks really? you stole shit. Yeah, it was, it was awful. Um, How did that impact? Did that give you a drive to Yeah, because make you want to be life. better than the rest and that's the drive that you get. It's like, no, you're not going to fucking phase me. I'm not going to go, you know, I'm not going to be stupid for you. I'm actually going to be better than you. And then you're going to see my face and then mm. you're going to be pissed. Do you know what I mean? So sometimes you have to use that reverse psychology, but I, that's how we learn most of us how to defend ourselves and fight. And did, did you physically fight? Yeah, I mean, I, I'd had my head kicked in a few times after school, and then one time I started to um, train and I'd started to do karate, and then after that, fuck me, I love a tear-up. Is that, that, right? that, that was how it was because you had to protect. Yourself. Well, I mean, you do boxing as well, but I mean, yeah. But, but, but that's more now. When I was a youngster, I was mm. like, yeah, let's go. Right now, I I don't box to do that, but no. I box for my own mental health and, and my own discipline. And actually, when that guy, which you mentioned earlier on, cuts me up, I'm like, mate, take the road, take <laughs> the road. I'm not in no rush at all. I wish you well. Obviously, you're going to have a shit day because my day's blinded. Because it's whether you engage with that person. And as you read books and, you know, I'm really into acting. That's what I wanted to do when I was at school. So you, you start to actually find yourself as a human being. And I, I suppose I became Ray Keys because that was my alter ego. That was, that was indestructible. That was where the Dark Soldier came from and the Renegade and all of these... Um, other add-ons that I had that would hide the, and protect the real me. Do you know what I mean? Um, I mean, you've told about how um, you've had to you had to fight against racism, both physically and mentally. Um, are you a you box now? Are you can you handle yourself? Are you a tough a tough cookie? I fight with all the Irish and gypsy boys and they're as fucking hard as nails, mate. They will. They don't give a flying, you know what I mean? But the art of fighting is actually to, it's like chess. You're scoring points. You're not actually trying to tear someone's head off. No. You know what I mean? And, it, and actually, all of these guys that I train with, bigging up my, my boxing uh, uh, club, Madrimore, Big John, Gavin, love those geezers. These geezers... Um, and there's another guy called Duffy that I train with. Uh, there's another guy called Dan from Ultimate Fitness. So I've got quite a few different people that I train with, but they're all, and my, my good friend Pedro, uh, he boxes, and, and it's, just, it's just great to, to, to spar with people and have to, that equal respect. So I talked to Brian G, uh, and actually um, Frost has admitted this as well, that like music saved them from a life of being ne'er-do-wells, a uh, life of crime. Is that, were you ever misbehaved? Is that, is that, yeah, does that I, resonate for you? Yeah, I, I, without a doubt. If I wasn't doing this, I probably would have ended up doing a whole heap of shit I shouldn't have been doing and moving around with, with wrong people. Um, and I were, had a lot of wrong people around me those days and there's quite an attraction to be around that because of the adrenaline. And, but, but then again, all those people are on drugs. Do you know what I mean? It's a drug-fueled, money-fueled uh, situation. 
and it's not going to end well. So you've got to kind of look back, look at it and go, actually, I don't really want to be involved around that. I don't judge that person because I don't, uh, my, I'm not in their shoes. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm not walking their life for a day. So you say they were drugged up or whatever. Have you, we, we ask every artist this, and actually I'm surprised by how few artists have historically been into doing drugs. Have you done drugs historically? I know you probably weed smoke. It wasn't really my thing. I used to smoke weed. I was smoking weed like what well, was Bob Marley and Snoop put together back in the day. <laughs> Groove Rider came in my first flip. And the whole place was a cloud of smoke. Me and Nicky at Black Market, they'd come in, the place would be a cloud of smoke. You'd be giving me a fiver, I'd be giving you a ten of change. <laughs> <laughs> and um, it was, you know, like I just couldn't fucking see the wood from trees. <laughs> and man was eating a whole heap of food. Then we used to go down and I used to beat everyone up on Tekken. And all that was going on. You know, they, those were great days, yeah. you know. But you can't do it for Like, potential made a shoot in it. My bridging come check me with a spliff. And that's how it would be. My bridging would come to the shop, would bill up, smoke a ting, get hungry, go eat some food, listen to some tunes, Bill up another thing, more people would come in, they'd be billing up another thing, and buying it, it was time to go How home. did Black Market Records make any money at all? <laughs> no, I mean, we smashed it, don't get me wrong. <laughs> but I'm just saying, the vibe was, you know, you meet your bridging. Boy, I've got this tune, you know? Yeah, what tune is that? Yeah, play, what? That tune sounds banging, bro. Yeah, I'm pressing 300 up. Yeah, I'll take all 300. You know, it was... I mean, I was working at City Sounds before then. That didn't end well. I made them a lot of money. I got too big for the shop. In fact, to be fair, um, Dave from City Sounds phoned me and um, messaged me and said, I'm really sorry how that all ended. And I thought that was quite sweet, you know. Um, he'd had some life-changing events. Um, some people pass away that were close to him. And I think sometimes you realise that, that if, you're, if you can, you can put the wrongs that you right that you did. And I thought, and it wasn't him because he was being controlled by other people. You know, you've got a house, you've got a mortgage, you're trying to put food on the table and, um, and you will do anything to protect that, you know what I mean? So I don't, I don't fault a man, but that was very sweet of him. I left there, I went to Black Market, we never looked back and, and it was, I was part What of, year did you join Black Market? I was there 92, 93. So you were already quite an established name at that point. Yeah, well, in, I was in... already, we were already playing house music, 88, 89. You know, it was a natural progression. It was the early 90s coming, 91, 92. So the beginning of hardcore jungle where they were putting the four to the four, but there were breaks was going on, rage was going, you know, and, um, and then it just, and then 93, 94 came and it just went. Boom, you just took off. Do you know what I mean? And how useful was it for you working in a record shop for what you were I doing in your career? I strategically put myself in those places right. because I knew that if I need, needed, I, if I was going to DJ, I needed the latest records. If I needed the, la the latest records, I had to be at the most cutting edge places to, to be getting the music firsthand. How did you get that job? You strategically put yourself in there, but Buster loads Bro of people must have wanted those jobs. Yeah, but Buster Brooker, God, God bless him, uh, he was on Radio Orwell at the time, and he went, look, I'll get you in there. At C you need to be at City Sounds. So I started at City Sounds, and it was Buster Brooker, bless him, that got me in there and got my first break. And I met... Like, Is, would you say that was your big, the most important break of your career? If you had to name your big break, the moment that you were like, that's the, the, the one the, that the, I've... The, the biggest break I had was, I, wo I worked at uh, Ice Menswear in Colchester and I was running my own shop within three, like three to six months. My mate Johnny Holmes got me that job. Then I left there and I went to Ferrucci in Kings Road and that was just to be in London. That was like, wow. I mean, I was coming all the way from Clacton-on-Sea to Liverpool Street, then another eight or 12 stops to King's Road. But that was a major game changer because I'd already, I was able to travel and, I, you know, and, and work. And then when I got the job at City Sounds, it was amazing. So that would be your, your sort of big break. And it wasn't this particular tune oh. that you made or? 
my big break in London was playing at the Crazy Club. Um, Alex P and a guy called James were in Colchester. They were at my friend's house and he went, you play like Paul Trouble Anderson. I went, who's that? And he went, he's on Centre Force. He's like, don't you know who he is? And the Brown Brothers, my good friends, the Brown Brothers from Colchester, they'd always give me mixed CDs. So that was my big break playing for the Crazy Club. A story on a Friday, a story on a Saturday, Limelight on a Sunday, Ealing Broadway. You're working seven days a week. You must have been And I was working five days a week, traveling, uh, whether I was uh, working at King's Road, then City Sounds, then Black Market. I always maintained a day job because I had, my first son was born, so I had to put a roof over it. Okay. And how important were those record shops at that time to the scene, to the 90s rave scene, your black market records, etc. It, it, it was integral. It, Why? Because at the end of the day, it was where people would meet. So it was your social media hub, the physicality. Um, and I would travel around to different shops from different shops. You'd get to meet different people. You'd get to meet different tunes. And then when you come in the dance, you'd just be shelling. And people would be like, where the fuck did you get that tune from? Because that was it. You wanted to play the latest cutting-edge tunes. Well, we've had quite a few questions, actually, that have come in from people about you and Black Market Records, because that's how people knew you a lot of the time. So listener Nick asks, was your intimidating persona behind Black Market Store a conscious image, or was it just your mood at the time? <laughs> <laughs> what were you doing? <laughs> I, I just think at the end of the day, if you're going to walk the streets of London, you, you've got to be able to, um, which it wasn't intentional, but, you know, people were getting robbed, pe you know, people were getting mugged, there's guns, there's knives, and I just guess that... But then that might be the typical kind of, you look at someone of colour and you judge a book by its cover because that could be also... Or, or they were all very annoying. You know, the, the people no, coming in, you know, sort of no, looking their starry-eyed at you. No, because and... I'd been on the other side of a counter and I'd been fobbed off before. So for me, it was like, mate, I want to help you. What do you want to buy? How much do you want to spend? 50 quid, 100 quid? You know, I'm there to take your money, 100%, but I'm going to do it with God's good grace. I, I want you to have that the best experience. So... But I think a lot of the time people were just nervous of coloured people and people oh, right. of colour. I think that's that whole fucking prejudice of like, you know, um, oh, he's going to rob me or he's going to cause a fight or all of the, you know, because don't forget, these are all out of towners coming in and thinking, what the fuck, you know, they've never been to a record shop. They might see Groove Rider and Fabio and Mickey Finn and be overwhelmed with the whole thing. Nick, and we're all laughing and joking. Do you know what I mean? And... So, and I, we tried, all of us, so myself, Nikki Black Market, Rachel, Ash Attack, Clarky, Crazy Legs, um, we were there to really um, make people feel comfortable. Okay. And, and make sure. So I, I'm sorry they felt that way. Oh, I'm sure they don't mind. I think they were just starry-eyed. I mean, that's the impression I get from these oh. people. Um, and you stayed there for 19 years. That's a long, long old long time. time. Um, why did you stay there for so long? Because I loved it and it was my job. And, and, and it didn't feel like work to me. It was, it was just a way of life. And so how did you feel when it closed? Um, because I was annoyed I... because they fucked the whole thing up. You know, I'd saved the shop a good few times. Dave Piccioni had sold it to Goldie and Nicky. Nicky eventually ended up leaving. Goldie kept it. In hindsight, I, I was disappointed that many, many a time I was never brought in as a partner, yet I helped save it. But the thing about it is, if you don't look after something, it's going to end. Mm. And that's what happened. Like The bottom line, it was mismanaged, uh, unfortunately. And um, was any of it to do with the, the change from vinyl to, to digital? Yeah, there, there, you know, listen, in any time, I don't know any industry that you can go through and there's not going to be change. You know, robots making cars, electric cars, you know, you know you've got to be able to adapt to change. I think it was just bad management. Um, and, and, and through no fault of their own, because again, they didn't have a handbook. They were trying to do the best of what they could. They kind of, kind of inherited a shitstorm. Um, but at the same time, you just feel like Dread Recordings is still going. We're 26 years old this year. Um, 
It was 25 last year, 26 this year. Look at Brian's label, look at Metalheads, you know, look at Hospital. Uh, you know, these, these are just a few labels that are pr still prolific and still doing what they're doing and putting out good music. So there's no excuse, really. If no. you look after it and you've got the right people around you, it can work. Well, Sanctuary Memories uh, asks, as kids, we used to go to London, into Black Market and annoy the shit out of Ray and Nicky. Uh, his question is, does Ray miss the shop and interaction? Oh, yeah. I mean, like, when I left there, I was very, very depressed. You can imagine going from a vibrant environment like that, that every day you knew would be different. You know, the next bad company could walk in or the, or, or, or the next man, B. Swift, could walk in and you were all part of that. And, um, of course, it was heartbreaking. Like, you know, I, mi I miss those days today because I just miss the banter and the laughter. I mean, what an amazing time to grow up. And, you know, like, I made some amazing friends and... And I love them dearly, you know, like, and the people that we, we work with, you know, all the DJs and MCs, we grew up together. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it was such a terrible shock. But 19 years is, but that just shows you the resilience of, you know, most people change jobs every three years, right? So It's quite old-fashioned to be somewhere for 19, 19 years, isn't it? Yeah, that's like a, a, a steel worker or a carpenter or... Or a murderer. That's what you get yeah, to you, you yeah. get less Two time sentences. But it was, it, every day was a pleasure. <laughs> um, and... Uh, vinyl sales now on the rise. Uh, do you think we're going to see a comeback, a rebirth of independent record shops? Because That's of been that doing it for a little while. That it, it was always going to level out. Look, what you've got to realise is this: every five years, uh, you've got people moving out of the scene and in and into another scene. They get married, they have kids, they don't go out anymore. Then you get the next lot that comes through that want to buy records. Some of them do still buy online because they're collectors, but you know, the club scene and, uh, and the time frame is always gonna change, do you know what I mean? My kids have grown up in an era where they just stream, they don't own any content. They don't want to own any content. They're just like, Dad, can I get that now? And I suppose they, they know me more because they started Googling Spotify, YouTube. They're like, Dad, you made this chain, yeah? It's bad tune, you know, and um, <laughs> and it's because I they didn't. What they find that. out what you've made from yeah. Spotify. Well, when they started going out, they started going to raves and then hearing old school garage, old school jungle, and then they'd be like, "Hang on a minute, that that's one of yours, isn't it?" I'd be like, "Yeah," and then they'd come up and they list. They they're. I mean, the studio's been in the house for years. They'll hear a tune now. Um, they're with me. I play something and they go, "Fucking hell, Dad, that's a banger." Do so they ever say it's not very good? No, because I don't not make not very good music. I knew you were going like, to say why that. Why am I going to make not very good music? <laughs> oh, well, surely everyone makes a bad tune no, from time to time. No, it's not a bad tune. No, that, you're wrong there. That, this is how it works. You might make an okay tune, but it's not that renegade terrorist or that dark soldier. But that might take you 10 tunes or 100 tunes to make that tune. So they're all good tunes. But it's, it's what determines it when you play it out. Do you know what I mean? Because music's a feeling. All right, you might have a bad day. There's no such thing as a shit tune. You know, like someone put their heart and soul into that at some point along the line. They might have not got the ingredients right, but listen, some of the stuff that I'm used to make to what I'm making now, is there's a huge difference. Well, I'm interested in this. Because of coronavirus, I was going to sort of ask you later, but we're sort of on it now. You're still making stuff, but unable to play it out. And Brian G was saying they've got lots of stuff on V that they're just waiting to put out. But because they're unable to play it on the dance floor, they don't know how successful it's going to be because that is a key element of knowing that you've made a banger. Or do you know when you've made an, a sick tune and, or, or just an okay tune? Do you know that? When you've just made it. Yeah, because you get that warm feeling in your belly. But not only that, I've, I'm in a very, very pri privileged position is because I've got a weekly radio show. I've been doing my weekly radio show. For but you don't get any feedback on that, do you? When you're playing in... Uh, oh, certainly no. not, not like, you know, if you're in a rave, you'll... Everyone will love it, and you can see everyone loves it. Whereas on your radio, as no, I know from I being a radio it, presenter, it, it, you you have no idea. You're sort of throwing it out there, but yeah, hoping. But, but you're still getting a reaction from the crowd because they're feeling it. So you've got comments coming in, like they're listening it to on their home speakers. They know if that's a big tune or not. So I think it's just energy and vibes. And I think I, I've never let anyone dictate to me what 
I should be making and what I shouldn't be making because music's just a feeling. So I'm just releasing a load of back catalogue stuff. I just put something out last week, Dread Archives, Volume 4. Mad love. Now, some of them tunes, to me, are just okay. But for someone else, they're like, oh, my God, Ray, that tune's banging. You know, so you always do what you want to do. You're, you, you, you're never swayed by the crowd or what you think people might like. Yeah, there's a difference between the art of DJing and the art of making music. You know, a DJ set is there's a beginning, there's a middle and there's an end. We know that when we go in there, I know what tunes to play to get the crowd going and then I'll just switch it and then play something they haven't heard before but it's got such an impact that they're like, fucking hell, that's that, you know. A lot of the, some of the youngsters don't look up, they're just playing for themselves. That's a bad habit. You need to be reading the crowd because they're the people that you're entertaining. How much do you, when you're doing a set, I know obviously it's been a while since you'll have played out uh, in, a, in a crowd, in front of a crowd. How much... No, I've how done much some is... social distancing events okay. in, in Bristol. But how, the... much is, how much of your sets are planned? And how much I don't are, plan my sets. You don't plan at all? I don't. I'm not one of those Because I've... That's I've, some fake shit. Bro. Well, I've interviewed people in the past and they're like, a lot of people say that, but they're lying. You give me any two records at any given time. You wake me up at three o'clock in the morning. You pick the records and I'll mix it for you, bro. I'm a DJ. I mean, that sounds like a challenge we should do on this podcast. Yeah, any time. <laughs> I'll play garage, I'll play house. I mean, I've got a once a month house show. I have tunes that I'll listen to that I'll like. And then as a DJ, as soon as you play that tune, you know those two, two tunes are going to go together. But I got brought up watching... Mr. C, Evil Eddie Richards, Kid Bachelor, Paul Trouble Anderson. If you can't mix for more than two hours or two minutes, then man will be laughing you off the decks. It's not no quick 16 bar loop, log in and then, and then go. I can make two tunes sound as one and I'll take you on a journey. But there are DJs that do put their sets together. Good luck to them. And are you strictly Vinyl then, or do you do, no, do, I mean, do I mean stuff CDJs, with... uh, uh, CDJs. So you, you, do you use loops and things like that as well? No, no I just plug old, in my... Two, your old school yeah, and two your... Kilo, two two uh, terabyte hard drive goes straight in, bosh, that's me. I'm really... And it's tune to tune and there's no looping or anything like that? It's... No. I mean, I mean, I like some of that stuff when I watch some of the house DJs and I see them looping stuff and I think that's more of a show if you're doing a yeah, show yeah. and um, and then some of them use Ableton I think that's great but I'm, I, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm an old school DJ I play music you are an old school DJ which is why you're on Raw the 90s Road podcast thank you very much there's more soon absolutely fucking hijack them two there the sound of Ray Keith touching down you're listening to the Raw the 90s Road podcast with me Tom Latcham in the place with Ray Keith the jungle and drum and bass pioneer. Uh, if you want to uh, get in touch with us, please do on email hello at the 90s raypodcast.co.uk or on social media. You just have to search on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter for Raw the 90s Rave Podcast. But do go and check us out, say hello. We'd love to hear from you. Any questions or suggestions for guests you've got in the future, uh, we are certainly all ears. Uh, also, as well, if you can spare a few pennies, however big or however small, any donation gratefully received to keep this project going, to keep more 90s rave content coming your way. If you want to do that, just go to gofundme.com forward slash the 90s rave podcast. That address again, gofundme.com forward slash the 90s rave podcast. It's you guys that are going to keep this going. So we're here uh, on Raw the Night is Ray podcast with me, Tom Latcham and Ray Keefe. Uh, you make music, you put out music, you own a record label, you've worked in a record shop, but you are also, you're, you know, you're mostly known as a DJ. So I want to ask you if you could describe your DJing style. Those names that I mentioned earlier on, I, um, I you know, like uh, Mr. C as well. I looked up to those guys. Also, Colin Hudd, when he was playing at Rage, he was on fire at one point in his career. He was one of the biggest DJs on the planet. Um, I don't know. I, I, I'm my music because I used to chop the breaks left and right back in the old days when we were in the warehouses. I used to chop a lot, um, but I'm I'm just into letting off the tunes. You know what I mean? Like, I'm a selector. I think what we've got born into now is it's a cult of, like, if you go and listen to that DJ, 
you're going to get your 100% worth of money because they are going to let off and they're going to play an amazing set. And I think that's what it's come to now. You, with the likes of Bookham or Fabio or Groove Rider or Randall or Frost or Brian or Mickey, um, you know, it's calibre, it's weight, you know what I'm saying? Like, you're going to go and see these people um, and you're, you're going to get an unbelievable journey. Well, what is it that makes... What is it they're doing? I don't know. That, you'd have to... You'd have to well, then you, cre- then you, yourself. What is it that you're I've doing that makes a, you that? I, I've, uh, the other day I did a house set and the two guys said to me, fucking hell, that just took our breath away. You went on a journey. The thing is... So it's about creating a journey then? Yeah, and it's, a, it's about pushing the boundary of sound and about trying new things. You know, you can't just... If you keep doing the same thing, Tom, over and over again, you're going to get really good at it, but you're not going to go anywhere with it. So if you make yourself uncomfortable, you know, DJs are supposed to take risks. You're supposed to play that B-side of that tune that sounds banging, and when you play it out, it then becomes an anthem. That's how tunes get discovered. Um, and I think it's, it's, it's playing new music, new artists, keep being inspired, keep pushing... Uh, the boundaries, and that's what keeps you relevant. You worked in fashion when you were younger, and how much, so, so and, and as I say, in your music, you've always sort of stayed on the cutting edge of, of fashion. Um, is your DJing and your producing a, a reflective of your personality? Oh, without a doubt, it's, it's part of me, yeah. It's, it's a culture. It's not just a fad, do you know what I mean? Like, there, there are fads of music that come along um, that, that just takes the commercial end of it and sucks the life out of it. We're the underground. We're always going to be relevant because that's what we believe in. And the main thing is, is integrity. So with your integrity, whether they're earning a hundred thousands over there and selling out, and then suddenly now and again, you'll get a few men come back and like, yeah, but I'm still with you lot. And then you look over and you go, yeah, really? Okay, cool. Because we're all... And that's the thing now. Everybody's fucked. So it doesn't matter whether you're a superstar DJ or a mediocre DJ, you're all on the same platform. You're not playing out. No one's earning any money. So it's very humbling. So you look at yourself and you see what you've got and you see your history and it is about integrity, you know, and it's about believing in your sound and yourself rather than trying to ride off of the back of someone else's coat. And you mentioned a number of uh, big name DJs that you talk about being at the very top of their game and taking you on a journey. Where do you rate yourself among those DJs? I don't really rate myself, I'm just a DJ. I let let other people make their mind up of where they are. I'm humbled to be playing out to crowds, uh, to festivals. The last two, three years have been fucking amazing. I've played at some mad, crazy parties and people running into the tent. I played at that Hannah once and there was eight to 10,000 people rushing to go in the tent when I was on the decks. I was like, wow. I mean, look at Serum and Blade Runner and Voltage, for instance. And TI, they're playing to people like to 50,000 people in Belgium and some festivals. Now, that's probably more people than I've ever played to in one place. But look where it's gone. You know, like to be part of that and and to be a pioneer and to be in the game from the beginning and still being able to function, it's amazing. How has drum and bass moved from Jungle, which was a quite a niche music at the time, it was dark, it was you know, quite scary at times for some people. How has that gone from there in the 90s to what we now see as drum and bass with the festivals? What did it do right? How did it get there? It's like hip hop, it became accessible. Um, and some people saw the bigger vision and made a, made a killing and, and made money out of it. Um, and good luck to them. And, and some of it gets watered down. Um, but now, I mean, I was talking in the Metalheads uh, video 20 years ago or however long that was, and I said, I hope one day when I turn on the TV, I'm going to hear jungle drummer bass beats. Little did you know, I don't think... (laughs) I don't know. You can't turn on the TV and not hear it now, really. So look at where we've come from. Listen, everything's always going to change. 
It's no good moaning about, you know, like, I was part of the blah, blah, and we helped invent the blah. Be current, do what you're doing, you know. You're always gonna have to evolve and change and adapt. Look where we've come from. We've come from seven inches to radiograms to uh, Garrard decks, Citronic decks to then um, uh, tape machines to then CD machines to record decks to Pioneer uh, to techniques and then CDJs and then hard drives and then people's phones. Like, and I missed out reel-to-reel and eight-track and tapes, I think. But imagine that journey. Remember that program, Tomorrow's World? Like, what, how, you know, like, and... I just remember Philippa Forrester in a leather cat suit. I can't, I, mm, I, don't, I don't remember. I'm it. sure it was Tomorrow's World. I mean, I was young, but... Uh, but I it was, it was that. an... Um, it, listen, the journey that I've been in and on, they talk about the Industrial Revolution and how amazing that was. Look at the electronic revolution. Look what we've seen, you know, from black and white TV to plasma. Look at the phones, you know, Mm. like I used to have a big brick phone before that. It was like, we had an aerial on it and you took it out and it was square and he had a battery. It looked like a... Briefcase. Yeah, like like, pretty much like a briefcase. So, Uh, so so going back to uh, the DJs that you said you don't rate yourself, is there any DJ that you play with that you go, I don't really fancy going after them. No, I'll clash anyone. I don't, ah, yeah. That's that's. I mean, that yeah, is what all DJs say. No, no, I mean, I won't I mean, myself. I mean, my, di- my DJ was going to rage and listening to Fabio and Groove because it was the light and 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 it was the dark and light. So when I used to go up and I listened, used to listen to them because they were our peers. You know, we we looked up to them, and they were playing our tunes. You know, and and DJs like you know. Paul Trouble Anderson, you know, Mr. C, Evil Eddie Richards, uh, even the hip-hop DJs, you know, like watching all the DMC stuff, um, my good friends, um, uh, Craze and, and um, Pogo. I mean, all of these guys had a, a uh, an imprint on us because that's part of who you take those styles from. Do you think that your love of lots of different types of music has has shaped your DJing? And do you think that actually some of the more modern DJs now who've literally just listened to Jungle and Drum and Bass are limited because of that? I don't really like to criticise... Listen, we live in a different era. You know, you can't... You you can't judge everybody from where they grew up with, but... Their, their background would have been jungle, drum and bass, grime, trap. Music changes, you know. Um, I don't think that there's so much at a disadvantage because at the end of the day, if you're a music lover and you're a DJ and you take your shit seriously, you're going to go back. You're going you, you're gonna to do your research like we did, you know. Uh, all the soul, rare groove and jazz records, you know. like. So let's take it back to the 90s. If you had a particularly... Uh a crowd that wasn't really up for it. Was there one tune that you just knew that you popped on from the nineties, rave in the night from the night from the nineties? Oh, there were so many. There's so many. There's so many hits. Like y- y- you could choose any of those tunes, and 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 it would pop off the dance. Don't forget, people were just they. I mean, that's how we all started off was popular DJs. We play what the crowd want. It's only when you start to. Um, evolve as an artist, evolve as a DJ, that you take more risks. I mean, Matthew B, I used to watch him play. He was only 17. I was in my 20s. Wow, what sets he, was, he would play would be amazing. Um, he went on to be Bushwhacker. Um, and, that, and, you know, like, I like to go and watch good quality DJs and, and do it, you know, it's a, it's a work of art. So back in the 90s, have you got a favourite moment in terms of your DJing? Was there a rave or a, an event that you just went, yes, mate, this is the one? I've had so many of those. I've been so lucky. I went to Brazil once and I was with my friend DJ Andy. I'd just done that tune, something out there, and I was playing, and it was, they were playing techno in this club. There was like two and a half, three thousand people. I looked at him and I went, bro, and I'm in the ghetto. I'm in the ghetto in like Brazil. Sao, uh, Sao Paulo at the overnight club and I went I looked at him and I went I don't think this is going to go off in here he went Ray trust me I said 
I'm not really feeling this, you know, because it, it was just techno going on and I was thinking, I've been at some of them clubs and you're not getting the reaction how you get on. And I put something out there on and it had the samba beginning, you know, the samba mix. Oh my fucking days. The whole, it was like, it was like Brazil had scored a goal. And um, I actually had to go down and take a breath because I had to rewind the tune three times. But I'd had amazing nights at Bar Rumba. Listen, I've been blessed. I mean, I couldn't even be more blessed if I was. That's why I wouldn't change anything. I was resident at Paradise. I was resident at Laserdrome. I was resident at um, um, so many clubs in London, you know, Astoria. Um, and it, and I tra I've travelled around the world like 10 times, maybe even 50. You know, there's not a country that I haven't really been to and I've got to play music there. And I was just like, so that was the now, the other one was Millennium Dome 2020. I played in front of 50,000 people for AWOL. That was crazy. Um, I played at the Pet Shop Boys party in Pinewood Studios in the 80s. That was nuts. Um, oh, I just, let's just, the end was such an amazing club. Ministry was such an amazing club. I mean, me and Nicky, I'll tell you what, if I could do this set again with Nicky, me and Nick back to back three hours in a club like the end, uh, we did, it was called the Big Rewind. Oh my God, when I'm telling you every tune, the place was going crazy. I mean, we had to pull up, literally you drop a tune, crowd went nuts, drop another tune, crowd went nuts, he'd drop a tune, I'd drop a tune, and it was just, because we were battling each other, but because the energy was so high, it just was, it was, it was one of those sets that people went, it took your breath away. Do you know what I mean? You've talked about uh, loads of raves that you did enjoy. Were there any raves that you just, just never really clicked with? Yeah, of course. You know, like you go into pilot mode, you know it's shit. You know the sound system shit. You're just getting paid. It's soul destroying. But that's that's part and part of sort of how you've got to go. You know, there's three people in the dance: me, the bouncer, and the promoter. And that's it. <laughs> Have you got my money, bro? <laughs> um, how many times have I done that? I can't even tell you. It outweighs the, all of the good days. Um, but that's, that's how you've got to learn. You know, you learn how to move a crowd, you learn how to play to yourself, you keep yourself entertained. I've done many a set, two, three hours, warming up in wine bars and side rooms and all the rest of it, and it's like, mate, it's just rubbish. Well, Stuart Monroe says, big up the man like Ray Keefe, King Thank Dread, you. everyday junglist. He also asks, where have you not DJ'd and you would really have wanted to, you were gutted about missing out. Is there anywhere? Yeah, I got offered to go to South Africa and there were still the problems over there and I asked them, would there be any people of colour in the dance? And they said no, and I was like, well... No thanks. <laughs> uh, but I would like to play in South Africa. I'd like to play in Gawa. That's one place that I'd like to go to. I really want to do that. One in do you mean Goa in India? Yeah, Goa. Not Goa so, in Swansea. No, no, no right, okay. Goa in <laughs> India. And also, oh, what's it called? There's some rave in a desert in, in, in America. Like the Burning Man Festival? Yes. Oh. Yeah. So you must be able to, your agent's got to be able to make that happen. Come uh, on. I don't know if they have drum and bass there. I think, I think there's something similar, but that would be amazing. That would be amazing. Yeah. So I'm not a huge fan of uh, some of the modern drum and bass MCs where there's like more MCs than DJs on the lineup and they're doing their double rhyming and asking for constant rewinds. I find that irritating personally, but what's your view of MCs? Yeah, I think, I think MCs go hand in hand with the art form of DJing. You've got hosts, you know, like Skipper, Shabba, um, Stevie Hyper D, R.I.P. He was the pioneer of that, that uh, uh, double, uh, double chatting. Um, and then you've got hosts, you know, you've got like uh, GQ, you've got Singing Fats, you've got Moose. I mean... What's your favourite type? All of it, because it, it, you can't 
take one element out and put another in. Yeah, of course, some of the MCs, sometimes the younger ones, that, that they think it's all about them and it's not. You work together, you work the crowd. Well, I mean, uh, without, a, uh, without an MC, the music stands on its own, but without a DJ, it's just a bloke shouting in a room. Yeah, but I think it, everything need, needs balance. Do you know what I mean? Um, I'd done a set with Juice Man the other day. Oh my God, it was just fire. And it makes you want to play more tunes because it, you're, it's teamwork, you know? And there are, there are certain great combinations that, that roll out. I mean, I've, Which ones works best with, with your... I mean, I work, I work with Navigator, I, know, I work with Juice Man, um, I work with, with um, uh, Moose. Um, they fit my style. They sound, they're more hosts. Yeah, than... but then I've worked with Sk Skipper and Shabba and we did something for Jungle Cakes. So, it, you know, uh, I've worked with, with um, Spider, I've worked with everybody. Like, they will, ad I've worked with the Ragged Twins. They will adapt to how you play because they, they move differently. You know, I played with Debt, I've played with Brocky, I play, you know, like we do a back to back. Everyone is moving in that circle that you know that it, there's balance. Who's your favourite to go back to back with? What DJ was? Yeah. Uh, well, it, the, my regular back to back would have been Nicky Black Market, but I've done a back to back um, with Kenny, I've done one with Randall, I've done one with Doc Scott. I mean, that's when man's drawing tunes, you know what I mean? Like you draw, I, we did a three way the other, uh, before lockdown, that was me, Nicky and Kenny. What a night that was. Yeah, wicked. That was amazing. Is there anyone that you've just never, it just doesn't work when you've done a back to back with someone? No, because I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't put myself in that position. Yeah, but how would you know until you've done it? No, because there's only certain people that if my art, my agent pitches me and they say, Ray, can you do a back to back? And I'd be like, yeah, that'll work. If, okay. it, you know, some things just don't work, you know what I mean? Just finally, in terms of an, an MC, I know that you've praised them. Have you ever unplugged the mic? Yeah, of course. Oh yeah, tell us. I'm not going to go into that. Oh, come that, on. That, no, because <laughs> like, if you're not listening to me and, I, and I'm playing and the monitors are fucked and you're just, and it's just sounding terrible, I will unplug you. Well, I've wanted, actually, I've always wanted that to- That makes be, sense. I've been interested in this idea about the, the rewinds. Now, a couple of rewinds, you get it, it's fine. It's, it's actually respectful. It's like, look, this is the, a banging tune that this person's dropped, let's have a rewind. But when they rewind, like, I had one set, I can't remember who it was. But it was GQ, and he like asked for a rewind about five times within the first ten minutes, and then he went, "Let's just rewind the set." And you're like, "No, mate, let's just let's. You, this isn't the point of this. It didn't come to constantly well, hear a tune getting pulled back again and again." With, with all due respect, I think if you're looking outside in and you're interpreting that, and you weren't there at the time, then you wouldn't have felt the energy. So you might be looking at that concept of it and going, "Why is this geezer pulling up the tune?" On my radio show, I will pull up a tune three times and I haven't even got a live crowd in front of me, but that's the energy. So because you weren't there in the dance, you wouldn't be able to interpret. But have you ever thought, you know, can you stop doing this? because No, because no, that, you know? that's not how it works. So you're just looking at it from a... Um... Yeah, on a tape afterwards. Exactly. Yeah. So you, you're, not, you're not gonna know how many people was in that dance, how good that tune was. Uh, there's a saying that says liquid that you actually start beating the wall. Um, I was DJing the other day on the radio and some geezer went, Ray Keefe, that tune's fire. I've just drop kicked me nan and my granddad's really upset. Because <laughs> that's how bad the tune was. I had to rewind it three times. <laughs> I said, Bridget, when I you hope your hands all right. You mean, you mean I said, good. I hope your hands all right. Yeah, you shouldn't have really drop kicked her or side kicked her, but I can understand that you are feeling the music that hard. But what I'm saying to you is, these comments that you're making, Tom, it's all, you're a journalist, so I've got to pull you up on this, right? You can't comment on something where you wasn't there because you wasn't feeling the energy and you're looking at it from a totally kind of, um, neutral dimension where you go, well, that just sounds too much. Actually, I've been in a dance and man's shot their gun and I've had to rewind the tune three or four times. So I've been, I played at some ghetto places 
And he used to play telepathy, one of the most hardest dancers to play at, all black crowd. If you're not on top of your game, you're fucked. You never shit your pants when someone firing a gun in a dance? No, because it's just how it was. You know what I mean? Like, that's what we came through. And that's the ghetto. We're ghetto DJs. We'll go and play in Manchester. We'll go and play in Birmingham. We'll go and play in, in, in those suburbs where, where, where people don't want to go there. But we love the music. We know you love the music. We're coming to play the music. So those type of... Um, scenarios of where you're thinking it's too much. Um, to some people, it could be upsetting and offending because you didn't live in those shoes. Those nights that you're talking about, that you, you thought, oh, well, that's a bit extra. Those nights were going on every weekend through the 90s. That's how we became household names is because we lit up the dances. And with the likes of Dizzy Rascal and um, all, the, uh, all the other grind boys that came through, Wiley and all of these guys, they would run home and get the, buy the tape packs to f get that energy that their brothers and sisters were feeling. So I, I, I think um, one day we'll go somewhere, I'll take you somewhere, and I think you'll change your opinion. Oh, pr fucking praise be. I'd love to go out. I'm so bored. <laughs> uh, this is uh, Ray Keith. We've come to the end of part one of this interview. We hope you've enjoyed it. Uh, if you uh, have, give us a shout. Hello at the 90s Ray podcast.co.uk. We're on all your social medias. We're on YouTube. Uh, all video content now from here on in. Uh, as I say, we hope you're enjoying it. But if you are enjoying it, don't drop, don't drop kick your nan. Well, we hope you've enjoyed the latest episode of Raw. We've certainly enjoyed making it and bringing it to you. And we want to make more. Uh, but to do so, we are going to need some of your help, I'm afraid. Uh, we are just normal people with normal jobs. This is a hobby and not a very well-paid one at that. In fact, it's not paid at all. Uh, we've invested quite a bit of our money to keep this, uh, keep this show going. Uh, but we could really use some of your help uh, as well. Any donation, big or small, we know it's a difficult time for you all out there. It's a difficult time for all of us. Uh, but any donation... You you can give whatever size will help us to go towards improving our kit. It will help us get on the road, pay expenses to go and interview some of your 90s rave favourites uh, and also just uh, keep bringing you some more banging 90s rave content. If you do feel able to help, that'd be great. If you don't, we do understand. Uh, but if you can, head over to gofundme.com forward slash the 90s rave podcasts. That address, I'll repeat just one more time, gofundme.com forward slash the 90s rave podcast. Uh, and if you can't give any money or you want to join our community, why don't you head over to Twitter? Why don't you head over to Instagram? Why don't you head over to YouTube? And why don't you head over to Facebook? Search Raw The 90s Rave Podcast. Like us, subscribe to us, do all that, get involved.